Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of The Graw Pod. I'm Doug Graw here today with Gary Randall. Happy New Year to you. We're recording this on January 17th. Great to talk again, Gary. Hey, great to talk to you too, Doug. That holiday season sure went fast. We're in the new year already. So at the risk of possibly alienating all of our followers, I will acknowledge something on your behalf. You are a Bill Belichick admirer, if I can say that correctly. Is that true? I certainly am. Absolutely. Bill Belichick was asked whether or not he had any New Year's resolutions, and he had a very flippant response to that question. But I'll ask you the same thing. Any New Year's resolutions in the corporate world for you, Gary? I think I can be a little bit more friendly with my response than my favorite football coach was. But what I'd look for in the new year is we want to continue to help our clients. Our client base is growing. We're excited about that. And it certainly seems like there's opportunity out there. And we want to be able to help with that opportunity wherever we can. Yeah, well said. What I think you and I get a lot of enjoyment out of is, yes, helping is nice, but really helping them be better, helping them achieve whatever goal they have. Hey, we want to improve our independent contractor program. Hey, we want to be a little bit safer. Hey, we don't love what's happening on some costs. We want to improve our lease purchase program, those types of things. We love when we can say this This is what their challenge is, and we can help make that happen. For sure. And I think the one issue that maybe we didn't talk about there is driver retention. We certainly think we can help out with that. We know that's an issue for every carrier in the nation. Even those with good retention numbers are looking for ways to grow and find more. And the easiest way to grow is to hang on to the ones you got. We're excited about that, and we think we can help. So that brings up a great point. The New Year's resolution, set that aside for a moment. That can be kind of some fun stuff, and we can maybe talk about that a little bit later. But we are in Q1. Q1, well, for most people that are working on a calendar year, some people obviously work on a little bit different year, but for a lot of companies, this is Q1. Q1 usually brings a decent amount of hope and optimism. This is what we're going to do different. We've set out this budget. We've set out these great KPIs and all these things we're going to do in the first year. But you know, Gary, and I know it's not hard to be a little bit disillusioned come February, March, April, when you already feel you're way behind on these grand plans. Yeah, I think what happens often is where companies miss the boat is they come up with these, as you said, grand plans. They've got some goals that they're trying to hit, but they don't spend enough time talking about the, what are we going to do to get there? The how piece. So I think that even though the calendar year is flipped over and some people feel like, well, we maybe should have all that in place. I would disagree. I think the first quarter is a great time to be thinking about as you go forward into the year, the how are you going to achieve your goals? The how portion is the thing to focus on. Well said. Think about this. How many trucking companies in the country right now have a goal in 2022 of something related to retention? We want to reduce turnover by X percent. We want to improve retention by Y percent. As you mentioned earlier, that is so much money to the bottom line, even moving that number just a little bit. So it's great to say we're going to do this by X percent by Y time. But you asked the big question, well, what are you going to do? What's going to be different other than you just said it. We're not going to get into all the nitty gritty on some retention things, but Gary, you led one of the best retaining lowest turnover, however you want to call it, trucking companies for many years. Any little bit of secret sauce you're willing to offer out? Well, yeah, a couple of things. I think one of them is probably more simply said than done. We always tried to follow the golden rule. We really felt like it was important to treat people the way we wanted to be treated, to treat the drivers the way we want to be 
treated. And I think many companies, unfortunately, that simple thing gets lost. Secondly, we really tried to inspect what we expected. When you think about orientation and you think about onboarding and you think about the lifetime of a driver with your organization, there's what we would call critical checkpoints. We'd look at those critical checkpoints and we'd try to make sure that we were actually doing what we said we were going to do. Because it's easy to stray from that. A company can set out with the best laid plan on paper and then over time, there's maybe a new person in a certain position or something happens where the company strays away from what we all think we're doing. So we really found to have that, that inspection happen at those critical points. I heard from a driver, I don't think this is a year old conversation. I think this was last summer, springtime. I was talking with a driver and I don't even know exactly how we got on the topic, but he laughed at the word family. This is a driver who'd worked for not dozens of trucking companies over the years, but he'd worked for a handful, five or six in his background. And he made the comment, every trucking company in the United States says that they're a family company, that they've got family values and treat people like family and so on. He just laughed at it. He said, that word doesn't mean anything to me. When I hear trucking companies talk about family, it doesn't do anything. What I care about is what you actually do. And I think that's maybe what you were getting at. It's because it can be really easy to say that, hey, we treat people the way we want to be treated. Every trucking company I think out there would say it. I think the key is, do you actually do it? Do your employees, do your dispatchers, do your customer service personnel, do your recruiters, does everybody actually do that? Or are they driven by whatever the KPI is? Back to the golden rule. I think the golden rule fits in with the idea that there's a business partnership, that you're treating your business partner the way you want to be treated and that that partnership is mutually beneficial. So the driver comes to work every day because he's trying to earn a living and take care of his family. The trucking company owner is in business because they're trying to make a profit on the business that they're running. You've got to work to find that mutually beneficial relationship. And when you use words like family and they sound hollow, that's a result of you not paying attention to the needs of the driver in terms of him trying to run his business. So if we go back to, hey, it's Q1, we want to improve our retention numbers by X percent. And I think the next question is, okay, well, how are you going to do it? Well, I think what you have to do is ask yourself, okay, what's a thing we can do different? It may be a pay thing. That might be it. But there's a good chance it doesn't have to be a pay thing. It can be a treatment thing. It can be a little thing. It can be a big thing. It can be something in between, but something that you're concretely going to do different to improve those retention numbers. When we talk about retention, I think another challenge in the industry right now, and this isn't necessarily special to trucking, but it's also retaining your office employees and making sure you've got a plan to retain good dispatchers, good customer service personnel, good managers, and good in a variety of spots. Q1, often a time for looking at compensation plans. You probably just went through your budgets and what you have. And as a department leader, I think you've experienced and you see a lot of other clients struggle with how do we compensate our team in such a way that we are helping people in their financial goals and financial success but also helping the company achieve their goals. What are some of your thoughts there? I think you have to be competitive in the market in terms of the base compensation. You want the best people working for your company. It's important for you to understand what the competition's doing out there in terms of the base pay. I think the overall compensation has to be a package of, certainly there's benefits, but the overall compensation has to be a package of base pay and then some type of bonus or incentive pay. That bonus or incentive pay, those goals have to be geared toward the goals of the company. 
so that whatever you're trying to achieve as an organization, that particular position is doing their part and incented to do their part, to be successful at their work and their part so that the company can achieve their goals. I think oftentimes when you look at a compensation package and you look at a bonus, you've got a pay on percentage of goal attained. The worst thing that can happen with a bonus program is that you roll it out to your people and then they realize quickly that they're never going to be able to attain 100% of that goal. So they quit trying. So you've got to set up a program where a certain percentage of goal attained will pay Then if they go over goal, if they overachieve, they get paid a little bit more to do that as well. So that it's not just a one number that they're trying to hit. It's the effort to continuously get better. And when they hit a certain baseline, the percentage pay starts to kick in for them. I think that's important because I think too often what happens is companies hang their hat on the idea that they've got this great bonus program for their office employees. But if you really look at the history of the results, many of those goals are probably not achievable. Then you do more damage than good with your staff when that happens. And I think no matter what you do with your compensation plan. This applies whether you're talking about your drivers, you're talking about your technicians, you're talking about your office employees, your sales reps, whatever. Whoever you're talking about, when you're talking about compensation, easy to understand, easy to track and follow. Don't make your payroll folks or your settlements folks have to do spaceship algebra here to try to figure out how to pay somebody. Make this stuff easy to understand, simple to track, simple to process. The more complicated it is, the more distrust you're building into the system. One of the points you made, Doug, was easy to track. That's critically important. If the bonus is going to be based on the first quarter results, by the time you get to the end of March, that employee should know already what they achieved, whether they hit it or whether they hit a certain percentage of it. There can't be a surprise in the results. It's got to be trackable information so that they can know all along how they're progressing toward it. Going back to this whole doing Q1, it may or may not be realistic to say, hey, we're going to have a totally revamped compensation plan. But if you're not crazy about what your compensation plan is, what can you do in Q1 to get on a better path? I think all of this stuff goes back to you naturally this time of year have all sorts of goals and big dreams and big aspirations for what you want to do for the year. Break it up into bite-sized pieces and whatever your issue is. Are we talking about employee retention? Are we talking about driver retention? Are we talking about maintenance costs? Are we talking about new sales and rate increases and so on? Are we talking about independent contractor programs? What can you do to strengthen your independent contractor program now in a little way to strengthen that? Those are the things that I think people can be taking advantage of and trying to accomplish in Q1. All bites that you're talking about all support that concept of do what you say, say what you do. So don't overpromise because you're going to under-deliver every time. And when you start to under-deliver, whether you're talking about your driver pool or whether you're talking about your office pool, that's when you start to have retention problems. One other item within the Q1, it's in the news right now, people should know about it, is the National Labor Relations Board has asked for briefs from kind of whoever wants to submit one about independent contractor status. The background is, is that there is a case that came out that was related to transportation I want to say it's a super shuttle, something along those lines. That kind of became the standard for what it means to be an employee or an independent contractor under the National Labor Relations Act, which is not exclusively union stuff, but it's union stuff. That case during the Obama administration, there was a push to get rid of that case and use a different standard. 
So a new standard got implemented, but the district court in Washington, D.C., the federal appellate circuit court, got rid of that case and went back to the shuttle case. As you might imagine, the current administration wants to get rid of the current case and do something different that we all can imagine is more employee-friendly and more antagonistic towards the independent contractor model. So I think it's an opportunity, Gary, for you and I to talk a little bit. We're not going to go through and spend an hour on this, but a few points on independent contractor programs. Again, we're in Q1, good times for refreshers. You worked with independent contractors for many, many years. You've listened to many lawyers over the years tell you about independent contractor status. What are some things that stick out to you when it comes to running operations about independent contractors while still meeting company goals? And I've learned over the years, Doug, is, is to remember that the contractor is an independent business person, and that they're trying to run their own business and they're trying to be successful financially with their business. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't work with them to achieve your company's goals as the carrier, but those company goals need to support the fact that this is an independent business person trying to be profitable on their own. So things like, where does the contractor want to operate? Things like, on average, how long does the contractor expect to stay out on the road? Things like, are there certain types of freight because of religious beliefs or other factors that the contractor won't haul? You've got to understand those things and you've got to put them into some type of a profile so that your people on the floor understand them, can work successfully so that, again, it's this mutually beneficial relationship between the contractor and the carrier. The particular note about the profile, I think what a lot of people lose sight of is, yes, you do need to respect their business room. You need to respect the fact that they are in independent businessmen and women. You need to prove it too. When a case happens, and you've been in the hot seat before, Gary, I know, a lot of the questions come down to, well, can you prove it? Can you prove that they had the right to turn down freight? Can you prove that they had the right to tell you what their profile was or what freight they wanted or didn't want? Can you prove that they had the right to choose what truck that they wanted? Can you prove that they had this right or that right? It doesn't matter necessarily what's in your contract. You can lose based on your contract. If you have a bad contract, that can cost you and you can lose. But if you have the greatest contract in the entire world, that is no guarantee of victory. You win based on what happens in real life. If the contractor is turned down one third of the loads that you've offered, but you can't prove it, you have no documentation that they were turning down loads or load times out, not necessarily rejected, but at times out, I think you and I would agree that's a turndown because you knew how long that you had to accept or reject that load. If you can't prove that, most courts are going to say, well, then it didn't happen. We can't say whether or not the driver turned on load and it's going to be your word versus the driver's word. And I'm willing to bet that if you're dispatching 500 guys, you're not going to be able to say, well, I remember Joe specifically turning down this load on this day, but I sure as heck can promise you that driver is going to remember it crystal clear that on that day, he did not turn down that load. And it goes back to what we talked about earlier. You've got to inspect what you expect. Expect, you got to be able to prove it. So in order to prove it, you got to make sure that every day your folks are following the process and the steps that you've asked them to, to document, to record, to pay attention to that relationship. 
Hopefully it never comes down to having to be used. Hopefully you've got a great relationship with that contractor, but if things go bad, you want to be able to make sure that you're factual about the response that you have to any accusations. And I want to say what also that tracking can do, it doesn't just help the lawyers and defending against claims. Yes, that's nice, but also helps the business. It helps you be a better business partner. If a contractor is turning down half of the loads you offer, you can use that information to ask yourself, hey, what are we doing wrong when it comes to offering this contractor freight? Why are we not successful here? If the contractor's upset about the amount of money they're earning, that type of information can help you have a better frank conversation with that contractor. What's working? What's not working well? Well, the reason I turned down half of the freight is because all this stuff is morning pickups and I like to drive at night. I don't like to drive in the morning. Who knows what it could be? But having that kind of information helps both sides be better business partners. It goes back to a conversation that we would continually have with our fleet managers about the fact that they may have 40 contractors on their board and they may have a certain conversation with the contractor first thing in the morning. Two minutes after that, they've had three other conversations with other contractors. They don't remember exactly what was said. That particular driver may have that one conversation in the morning, close the door on the truck and drive for the next 500 miles thinking about that one conversation. So it's virtually impossible for that fleet manager to remember everything that happens in a conversation between himself, herself, or a contractor. So the ability to log the important things into a system, what are the important things? The turn down, the timeout, the couple of things you mentioned earlier, Doug, the ability to be able to keep track of that is absolutely necessary because you're never going to remember it. And even if you do claim that you remember it, you're never going to be able to prove it. I think we go back to our whole theme of this episode about Q1 and what are you doing Q1? If I'm thinking about what can I do in Q1, I probably am doing something on retention that is so critical. I think it's critical all the time, but we know more than possibly ever it is getting attention that it needs. So I'm probably doing something on retention. I think we always have to be thinking about something with our employees and whether it's compensation or it's our development of employees whatever the case would be, is to make sure we're attracting and retaining those folks as well. And I'm doing something on independent contractors. It's not about necessarily about, hey, I need to revamp and audit my whole independent contractor program. But I think if I'm looking at something in Q1, I'm looking at if I had a claim tomorrow, how could I prove my program is good? Not just send them my contract. How can I prove it? What can I do to improve my ability to prove it between now and the end of the first quarter? And secondly, I think we always should be doing refreshers on independent contractors. You said, Gary, at the end of the day, we have to respect their business freedoms. This independent contractor issue, you've been in the industry a long time. I've been in the industry a long time. It was there when we started. It was there well before us. It will be here well after us. I think the way to make sure you keep respecting that business freedom is you keep refreshing with your employees, not only the do's and don'ts of an independent contractor program, but why you believe in an independent contractor program. Why are you choosing it? Why is it good for the independent contractor? And as well as why is it good for you? There's many carriers that over the past couple of years and going on into the future, will see the base of their driver pool, the mix of their driver pool change. So you've got carriers that were large company driver carriers. Now they're putting their feet in the water in terms of using independent contractors. It's a big change. And the reverse is true as well. You've got companies that were primarily independent contractor companies that are learning how to manage employee drivers. 
So you've got to make sure that your employees understand the difference between the independent contractor driver and the employee driver and and the things, the relationship that you have to have with them and the differences in that relationship. Anything else that if you're in the seat, so to speak, at a trucking company today, considering the market and considering what's all going on, what might you be thinking about for Q1 and something you can concretely do to move the needle for the business? One of the things that we haven't talked about today is the customer side of things, the shipper side of things. I think while most carriers are enjoying the benefits of this market, the danger there is that that true relationship between the customer and the carrier is maybe strained a little bit. It's easy to say, well, the customer relationship in today's business is the rate proposal, period. I don't necessarily believe that. I think that the rate proposal is a key to putting your foot further through the door with that customer. But if you're going to really grow the business and really have a profitable relationship, you've got to make sure you've got some relationships with that customer as well. So what's happened recently? Recently, the rates have been so good that a lot of carriers are probably hauling freight for customers they didn't think they would. And they're probably also hauling less for customers that they thought would be a big part of their portfolio. So I think as a business owner, you need to take part of your time in Q1 and sit back and say, what does my customer base look like? And am I happy with what that customer base looks like? Not just today, but am I going to be happy a year from now or two years from now? It's kind of funny that I feel like, and maybe I'm dead wrong on this, but I feel like that in trucking, there is often, not always, but often a pretty significant gap between the words that shippers and carriers both can be guilty of using about partnerships and in this together and in long haul and all that kind of stuff and actions. Because we all know that shippers, when the market is in their favor, are putting stuff out to bid all the time and what they're following through on commitments is lacking, to put it mildly. We know that happens. We also know when the market favors carriers, there's a propensity to keep coming back on the rates and keep driving them up and all that kind of stuff. To a certain degree, I understand it because it does happen both ways. The costs in the industry for both sides are so large and the margins so thin, it feels like you almost just have to do it. So I don't begrudge that it happens, but I do think there are some companies on both sides, again, shippers and carriers both, that stand out and regularly do well and withstand a lot of things because they have that longer view of the relationship. I think we need to always make sure, what are we doing to make sure the relationship is strong? And that doesn't mean just, hey, let's make sure we go golfing with this guy once a quarter. And that doesn't mean making sure our rate is perfect. Those things may be important, but it's all the little things in the way you evaluate customers as well as the way you treat customers. A big part of treating them is how you follow up. I think we've both heard shippers over the years say, well, I send something out to that carrier and I don't hear back for a week or I don't hear back for two weeks. And I think no matter what's happening on the economics of the relationship, you've got to be able to quickly follow up because that's the simplest way that you can show that customer that their business is important to you. It's amazing. That same sentiment applies so much on the driver side as it does on the customer side. Follow through. Most people can deal with bad news. What they can't deal with is no news, no follow through, because then it just doesn't seem like you care. That stuff gets frustrating and that's what hurts relationships ultimately. You need to prove to people how much you care about them. 
So I started this off with some wisecracks about the Patriots and Bill Belichick and New Year's resolution and so forth. I can't let myself off the hook. I wouldn't say necessarily that I would call it a New Year's resolution, but one thing I wanted to do back in Q1, I'm a fairly decent volume reader throughout a year, but I didn't do as well last year. I was a little bit down on books. I didn't quite read as many as I'd like to, but off to a good start in 2022 with a couple of books already closed for the year. I'm curious, Gary, when we talk about business books, I know that I do like to read some of those. Any of them that stick out to you? If you were talking to a client, they were asking you, hey, any philosophies you believe in that come out of some books? What are some of them that stick out to you? There's one that was introduced to me within the last year, and it's called The Law of Success. It's by a guy named Napoleon Hill, and it was written in 1928. So you think about, okay, when this gentleman first started talking to me about this book, I kind of rolled my eyes and was thinking to myself, well, what can that possibly have to do with business today? But as you get into the book, what it's really made up of is this Napoleon Hill studied successful people back in the 20s and put together a list of common traits or common qualities that those people had and what helped them be successful business-wise. When you go down the list, and I won't read all 15 of them to you because people should grab a copy of this book and do it themselves. But when you start to look at it, it's things that he's talking about in 1928 that are absolutely appropriate today to any business owner. And I would even argue for people's personal lives. Learn from your mistakes, practice tolerance, focus on a goal, be creative, make sure that you always do more than you're paid to do. So there's all these things in there that really help you stand out no matter what era you're talking about, because those are the things that make a business or a company different. Those are the things that make an employee different and really lead to some great success. I love that. I have not read that book. I love it. I definitely want to look it up now. It's funny that you went to an older book. Because I would say when it comes to those types of books, my favorite that I've ever read is not new and it's been read millions of times over, but that's good to great. I think Good to Great is one of the best business books that's out there. And I always recommend it to folks. I did pick up one recently. This was turned on to me by a client of ours, The Infinite Game. Simon Sinek, I think is how you say his last name. Very much a fan of that book as well. Shameless plug. I like reading. I think there's a lot to be learned that way and to have that quiet time to be able to do that. So I would encourage folks to do that. Gary, I know that you and I excited. We've gotten a couple of calls from folks about some retention. I know that's something that you and I are spending a lot of time on with clients these days, going in and talking specifically about, hey, let's spend a day or two together. Let's talk about your onboarding program. Let's talk about your retention program. Let's figure out what it is you're actually doing. Let's audit it for you. Let's come up with some concrete solutions, some examples, some ideas for how you can improve retention because we know how much that impacts the bottom line. Would love to help out more clients that way. Feel free to reach out to us. Before we get out of here, Gary, again, thank you for joining me. Any other closing thoughts? Thanks for having me again today, Doug. I think when it comes to the retention issue that everyone knows it, but it's worth repeating that the best thing you can do is hang on to the ones you've got. It's so difficult to find drivers and good quality contractors and or employee drivers. The ones you've got that you're happy with, let's make sure we're hanging on to them. Good point. Good point. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, listeners out there. Have a great start to year. Have a good first quarter. Wish you luck on getting some things done, making progress on those big initiatives, those big goals, and keep being safe out there.